Good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And my goodness, do I have a phenomenal guest on today. I met this guy about, I don't know, four or five weeks ago. Um, our mutual friend Bob Donnell introduced us and, and we just really hit it off. This guy has quickly turned into a brother to me. Love this guy. He's, you know him well, if you've ever watched television or ever seen a movie, you've probably seen this dude's face before. <laughs> so I want to give a very, very big and warm, loving welcome to my dear friend, Mr. Glenn Morshower. Glenn, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you, Ken. Don't you have a button you can hit that has like a round of applause or something? I need I need no. one. I, I need one. I'm working. You know, I'm actors working. respond to that very favorably. <laughs> I know. There's Bob <laughs> Donnell in here. We have Sherry Gideons, some amazing people. Bob, thank you again. So, so happy that Bob introduced us. Well, Bob, thank you for the introduction, and I want you to know that you are, my friend, the reason that I wore a, a jacket today. I wanted to dress up for Bob. That's awesome. And there's Lorraine. Good morning, Lorraine. Hey, Lorraine. So, um, and there's Cindy. We have a lot of people that that are um, that that know us both. And 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 Glenn, I you know, I told you we talked a little bit last night. Okay, it wasn't a little bit. We never talk a little bit. Let's just be real. Should we should we tell everybody? It's like no, that's the truth. We got a we got a serious bromance, a verifiable bromance going on. No question. <laughs> My wife's like, what in the world is up with you? <laughs> I said, we're solving the world's problems. That takes time. There's a whole lot of love, baby. A whole lot of love. <laughs> so, so um, you know, I started this show a couple of years ago, um, probably from a selfish standpoint um, to help myself. But, you know, it, it, it really was to give back to the world and help people get unstuck. And, and so <clears throat> I've had a lot of amazing people on that have shared a lot of stories and and this is all about you and your story and and how things came about for you so um look jill there's jill's jill's comment on my comment does uh, everyone understand that jill is your wife so yes they all know jill. understand who jill walls is they they know jill they, they know jill so so Let's start with where you were born and raised, sir. You know, I was going to joke with you and say that I was born in my mother's womb, but because I was ambitious, I decided to move out after nine months. But uh, <laughs> I actually, I actually arrived uh, in Dallas in 1959 and was raised here. And I say here because I'm in Dallas now. And so... Yeah. Um, my mom and birth father got a divorce when I was three. I had an older brother, um, and I say had because my older brother, Brian, passed away uh, one year ago, mm. and uh, he was two years, two months older than I was, and uh, so he was five when they divorced, 
And my mom did the single parent thing for about three years before she wound up uh, remarrying. And she was a good old Southern Baptist gal, right? <laughs> so uh, she, you know, everybody in our family sounds like this. And it was turn or burn center. You hang from a slender thread. Mm. And then when she married, uh, remarried, she married a Jewish man who promptly changed our last name from Bennett to Morshower. And that's how that came to be. And then I was raised uh, attending Hebrew school. I was bar mitzvahed. And uh, so I refer to myself now and have for years as a Babishtarian, which means I was born Baptist, <laughs> raised Jewish, and married a Presbyterian. Uh, and somewhere within that mix, I have uh, factored in a great deal of Buddhism. And the truth is, I believe that I think it's all the same. I've really grown to that understanding. It's all the same, but people's precious overrated need to be right is how they come up with the fact that theirs is the answer. And there's so many that have decided theirs is the answer. But, you know, you and I have talked openly about God. And yeah. I want to throw this out there because that's a, that's a great topic. I want to just throw this out there, which is that if God is God, and I can't imagine God not being God. I mean, if you believe in God at all, I think it makes sense to believe in a big, a big God, right? We, it's not a weenie God. If you're going to believe in a weenie God, there's no point in believing in God. I but Amen. If, but if you're going to believe in the bigness of God, words like almighty and certainly, how about this one, omnipotent right. or, om, or omnipresent. Yeah. And so if that's true, and I'm saying if, but I believe that since that's true, why would you think that there would have to be a path to get to that which is omnipotent and omnipresent. If something is omnipresent, it means that it is everywhere at all times. Why would you think you'd have to travel to that which is everywhere? Right. So I gave up the idea of there being a pathway to that which is. And I'll tell you that it changed my life and only for the better yeah. and powerfully and powerfully to realize that right where I stand or sit or lie down, right where I do whatever I'm doing, God is. God yeah. is present in and throughout all circumstances. And we may not necessarily see it. And we may not necessarily feel it. But things we see and things we feel can also be overrated. And I don't think that, that faith requires either one of those things. I, I don't. I think we just have a knowingness. I've, you know, I've never seen air. I've never seen it, but I've been relying on it my entire life. Right. There are a lot of things that I've never seen gravity. I've seen evidence of gravity. I've right. seen gravity effect, but how would you ever see gravity? So we don't know what gravity looks like, but we see evidence of gravity all the way around. And what I know is gravity, like so many other laws, is one of those immutable laws, meaning it's unchanging, and it is what it is, and it is no great respecter of titles. It doesn't care how much money you have. It doesn't care what your race is, your sexual preference. It doesn't care if you're a male or a female. Gravity treats all people equally and all things equally. Yeah. So I learned a long time ago, Ken, that getting on the right side and creating what I call right relationship with immutable law was actually in our best interest. And I won't speak on behalf of anyone else. I'll say it's in my best interest, but I've become a practitioner of it and a teacher of it. And I've been teaching 
being on the right side of immutable law for a very, very long time to have a cooperative relationship with that which is so that you can be the beneficiary of it versus a confrontational relationship or an uncooperative relationship with that which is. Meaning I wouldn't want to have an uncooperative relationship with gravity, would you? No, but I do, I do, I do want to interrupt you. Sure, I was done with that topic anyway. Moving well, I, we can talk about that, but I, I Eric, my buddy Eric Cornelius. Says, oh, Eric wants me to be his daddy. Is he asking you know for a there's DNA? Some... Is he asking for a DNA test? Is that what's going on? There's there's irony in that because uh, you actually use that term, but but I I, I do want to back way up um, pre pre all of your. Um, uh, very in-depth spiritual and religious experiences. Sure. I want I want to back up to when did you say that your father passed away? Uh, both my my birth father and my stepfather are both deceased. Sure. My, okay. my birth father passed away in 03 and my stepfather Harry Morshower. My birth father's name was Alan Bennett and my stepdad was Harry Morshower and he passed away in 2005. So, so, so your mom and dad got a divorce then? They did. Okay. They felt that that would make it easier for her to remarry. <laughs> well, hey, well, well Barbara, 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 you're going to have to get a divorce first before I marry you. Oh my gosh. So you, um, so, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to go now. All right. So, so, so I want to back up though. So you were, how old were you when, when your mother got remarried and, and I, was, I was six, six. Okay. Yeah. I missed that part. So at six years old, she got remarried and you were introduced to becoming Jewish. <laughs> Introduced as a polite term, but it was it was more I was informed. I was oh. informed that I was now Jewish. <laughs> Congratulations. Here's your new last name and your new oh. religion. By the way, I'm not joking. I mean, we're laughing, but it was like, you're now Jewish. And I went, Dude, wait a minute. Ken, here's how it went. I went something like, oh, um, okay. <laughs> So, so you're uh, bar mitzvah. Check this out. I was bar mitzvah by a rabbi who sounded like this. And I got to tell you, man, when you hear Hebrew, when you hear a rabbi going, man, it's weird. It can mess a grown kid up. Oh my God. So that is, that is, oh my gosh, that's crazy. So, so, so you were bar mitzvah at, well, that's 13, correct? Correct. correct. Okay. Oh, we broke the rules by a couple of weeks. Uh, I was bar mitzvah about three weeks before I turned 13. So I was one of the rare 12 year old bar mitzvahs. Okay. So, so you were, you were, um, <laughs> so here you were a Baptist up until sex, yes, and then you became Jewish and then yeah. you married a Presbyterian. Are you already smelling the need for a therapist in my life? <laughs> when you look at the background, I think, I think oh you should, should set up an appointment right now. I'm kidding. So no, I, and, and look, the diversity is, is probably 
one of the big things that makes you who you are. And, and, and I love that because I know nothing about being Jewish. I, I was not bar mitzvah. So I know nothing about that, but you can, you can't, you do. And you speak some Hebrew. I mean, I you do, and, and I know a lot about being Jewish. I mean, it, Judaism didn't play a small role in my life. We were very Jewish. There, there are three uh, rungs on the ladder of Judaism. Um, and so I was on the middle. Our family was upper tier conservative. So what you have is you have Orthodox, which is the most religious of uh, the Jewish faith. And then you have conservatives and then you have reformed. And the reforms, they don't even require that you wear a yarmulke. You know what a yarmulke is, right? Yes. So yeah. they, you don't have to wear a yarmulke in the reforms. I, I have but one built in. I almost wondered, in all honesty, I almost wondered if it was an early cure for baldness. Because <laughs> it's you don't look, at least if you're balding in the crown, you got a full head of hair as long as you're religious enough to have a yarmulke on. Right. But uh, we, we had to wear yarmulkes, and we wow. did not mix milk with meat. Uh, what we did do, though, is that we drove on the Sabbath, which was on Saturdays. And within Orthodox Judaism, you do not. You walk everywhere on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the holy day. You don't work. You don't drive. So it's ours wasn't quite that extreme. Wow. So <clears throat> what was it? Was was it a, was your stepfather? Was he a strict man? Was Very he much so. Was he? He was extremely strict uh, and a strong disciplinarian and had a, uh, I don't know if this sounds strong to you, uh, it, it certainly did to me and it felt that way. And in hindsight, it still, still looks that way. In our home, there's this long, and my mom still lives in that house. There's a long hallway and on that, uh, on the left wall, as you go down the hallway, there was a posted set of rules and it proudly proclaimed more shower house rules, more wow. shower house rules. And there were like 12 rules of what you will and will not do in this house. Now, in most homes, that would just be understood, not in our home. In our home, it was posted because wow. that way, that way you were not able to, you're not allowed to claim ignorance. Mm. It's on, it's on the wall. <laughs> It's like you a speed I mean? limit sign. Right, right. How can you claim ignorance? It's on the wall. So it was posted. Oh and um, But, you know, I'm I'm just thankful for all of it. And you and I have, have talked endlessly about this because yeah. if you take away any of what made you you, then you take away you. Yeah. And, and I enjoy being me. And I help others enjoy being them. That's not said from ego. I, I actually believe that's the sign of a healthy human being. Yeah. I, I believe people are supposed to be having a good time being themselves, occupying this uniquely assigned sack of skin. Yeah. That's what we're here to do. I that's love right. the sack of skin that I reside in. I've never had one day, not a fleeting moment of my life, have I ever wanted to be anyone else or anywhere else. I love my life just as it is. And I want to add one thing to that, Ken. Not only do I love it just as it is, I love it just as it is not. Yep. So there are a lot of things that aren't so about my life, and I'm truly glad they're not. Yeah. 
You, you told me, and and we're going to get into this in a minute, but I want to I want to put this out there to address in a little bit. Um, <laughs> Eric said, <laughs> I, I, I got, well, Eric says I want to be in my life. <laughs> No, so, you don't, Eric. No, you I, don't. I want to put I want to put this out there just just for to talk about in a little bit, sure. um, and that is you know you've had an unbelievable. <laughs> I, I know. Oh, are, we back, are we back on that word again? <laughs> I, you've had a very 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 successful um, career working in Hollywood, and um, y- you told me you know. I don't really dig hanging out with Hollywood elites and, and, and we, I, I want to address that here in a little well, bit. For starters, I don't esteem them to be elites. Right. I mean, <laughs> right. You know. right. Right. That's what I love about you, man. You're, you're like the most down to earth famous person I've ever met in my life for oh, real. Well, thank you. That's and, sweet. Thank you. And, and, and I love that about you. So, so, here you you so you went to I'm I'm assuming you went to school in high school. Did you go to a a, a a like private Jewish school or I went to Hebrew school, which is actually school that follows school. Oh, well, let me explain. And uh, exactly because I you could have been handed out hundred dollar bills, and it's still school that follows school. <laughs> right. So the vast majority of the kids were like, "No, thank you." I'm not interested in being that holy because I've already done my day in school. And now I'm going to go from one school, which gets out at three o'clock to the next school, which starts at four. And I get to be there from four till six. No. And uh, learning a, learning a language that I will never be asked to speak in. (laughs) Not one time in my life has anyone ever come up and said, dude, come here a minute. I bet you speak Hebrew. Um, You know, that's never happened. But, (laughs) I mean, Spanish, yeah, maybe, you know, and I do speak Spanish. Claro que sí, porque mis tíos nos invitaron a comer y pico que banquetazo. I mean, I speak Spanish, but in Texas, you need it. In Los Angeles, you need it. Hebrew, oh not so much. Oh, my not God. So Especially when you have this Irish-looking face, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, we would go to Hebrew school after our day school, and they had five grades. So you started in Aleph, then went it went Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalid, and Hay. And Hay was when you graduate and you go from there to your bar mitzvah. Yeah. Uh, after that, they have uh, uh, a next level. And my my stepfather never pushed for that, right? So thank God. He, once, it, Yeah. I mean, once Oy vey, I love what he just said. But once you've had your bar mitzvah, he felt like I have done my duty as a responsible Jewish father to raise my boys all the way through their bar mitzvah. Um, and, and call it good. I've done, I done my job. So I appreciated that he didn't, he didn't push that any farther than he did. You know, that was, that was good. So did you, did you, um, and, and look, if it was anyone else, I wouldn't be asking this because I, I would have like no reason to believe that I needed to ask it. Um, sure. but, but you started your acting career before exiting high school. I started my acting career before my bar mitzvah. Come so on. I, I started when I was 11, and I'll, I'll be 61 in uh, a few more days. Uh, few April 20, yeah, happy April happy early birthday. Everybody yeah. wish him a happy early birthday. I'm oh, going to do a special you, live stream on your birthday, and I'm going to have you on, 
and and we're gonna I don't know we're gonna party like it's 1999. Awesome. Do do I get any say so in that? No, no. I would be I would be honored. I would be honored. So so yeah, we um, I my mother took me because I know this is part of the story that you were interested in and how is how did this even come to be? Yeah. And the answer is, um, when I was 11 years old, my mother took uh, me to see a production at the Dallas Theater Center. And that production was of Charles Dickens' play, A Christmas Carol. My brother Brian went with us. So it was just the three of us that went to the theater. And uh, this is where I learned the valuable lesson that just because you're having the same experience with someone does not mean you're having the same experience. Mm. So we, we had the same experience, meaning we were attending the same play, so the stimulus was the same, but how it was affecting us was vastly different. And I'm so grateful to have learned that lesson so early on in life, because for me, sitting in that chair that day was changing the entire trajectory of I, my life. I mean, completely. No, I mean, completely and no exaggeration. I mean, I at intermission, I'm tugging on my mom's coat going, Hey, hey, and of course I sounded like this. I'm a little teen that, you know. I'm like, hey, what what was it gonna take to be up on stage? I like that. That whole acting thing, I like that. Really? I, oh my gosh. I was so excited. And and mom was like, you know, honey, if you if you'll if you'll just simmer down, we're gonna see the rest of the show and then I'll check and see what acting classes they have. And this my was brother, a Christmas carol? A Christmas carol, and there were kids in the show. And I knew one of the kids. It was my friend, Debbie Siegel, who I didn't even know. Don't you love it? A Jewish name in a, in a Christmas play. I know. I was like, hold it. A little Baptist like, Jewish kid yeah, at, a, at a Christmas. Yeah. It's sort of like, and now an episode of the Goldstein's Christmas. So <laughs> it was, it was, it was so weird that she was in this play, but I, I wanted to have the, the experience she was having. And I thought, well, if Debbie can hang out up there and have all this fun, then I want to do that. Well, my wow. brother, so that was my experience, right? Is yeah. I'm in heaven, nothing, nothing shy of a heavenly experience. Wow. And, and I asked my mom if she'll look into me taking some classes there. I mean, what do they have? And sure enough, they had a kid's theater department and I enrolled immediately. So God bless my mom for taking my yearnings seriously and getting behind them. I really owe her uh, lifelong gratitude for supporting that desire. My brother, who was on the other side of my mom, so he's all of maybe three feet away from me, that day regarding that play, he would rather have eaten broken glass and mayonnaise. <laughs> he, he, I mean, it was like he was bored out of his mind. I'm begging for more, and at intermission, he's begging for less. He oh. actually asked her if we could go home. <laughs> so, you know, we need to not ever assume that just because we're enthralled with something, Right. That it, mean, it means that the person that's with us is equally enthralled. And that is what I, that's one of the things about you that I just freaking love, man, is you do, you have this ability to, to see things from the other person's point of view. And it's, it's, it's rather amazing because not well, everybody it, can do that. And it only deepened Ken when I got into the deep end of the pool with acting. Yeah. Because an actor, if they're doing their job, our job is to invite another personality to take residence within our skin. 
yeah. for either a short period of time if you're doing a few scenes uh, in a show or if you're doing a live stage play, it could be as you know as much as two hours that we are allowing someone else to live and express their beingness in and through us. And that means we've got to really get to know who it is they are. Yeah, We, we have to know them or we will not be effective. Right. So my beliefs, my own as Glenn, my educational level, my voice, my confidence level, my religious beliefs, my sexual preference, whatever it is, those may or may not apply to the character. But I cannot force feed a character my beliefs. That's wrong. That means I'm doing the work incorrectly. So I have to open my heart and open my mind and let the character teach me who it is he is. Right. And then simply learn. And I got to tell you, over the years, and now I've been, you know, I've been in front of the movie camera and television camera for 45 years. And I did another four years of theater prior to that. So this is, this marks my 50th beginning of the 50th year. Wow. Uh, at, at Christmas time, it will be 50 years. Because as I've said, I was 11. I turned 61 in uh, in a few more days. So Christmas of this year, it'll be 50 years that I've been an actor. And the gift from the heavens is that every role I've ever played left a little mark on who it is I am. Right. And, and it did one of two things. It either taught me aspects about life that I wanted to add to my arsenal. Yeah. Or it showed me things that I'm, I'm not fond of being on the receiving end of, but it, it, what it did is it expanded my compassion. So I really feel for people and I meet them right where they are and acting gave me that gift. You, you, you do. So, so when, when you were, uh, let me ask you this in a different way. How old were you when you got your first role behind the camera like where you I, I and i don't know and i should i should have researched you more <laughs> uh i'm already over it i know the hour and 25 minutes we spent on the phone last night just wasn't enough so right so, you at some point you'd have thought i could have said hey ken don't you think you should spend some time doing some research but uh, <laughs> no what happened was i was i was 15 and i was still training at the theater center and then a phone call changed my life the head of the theater got a call from uh, the Kim Dawson agency, which was Dallas's most reputable talent agency at the time. By the way, I had no plans and I've never spoken with you about this stuff. No plans at all of going into film and television. Wow. No plans of moving to LA, nothing. My game plan was to go to New York city. I was in love with being on stage. My plan, baby, I was Broadway bound. And then fate had it another way. So when the phone rang, from this talent agency, they were needing young boys to read for a national TV commercial. And it had a lot of dialogue and they were not successful with casting out of their stable of young actors. So they thought, wow, what kids could we get or kid? It was a one person spot. What kid could we get that would not be intimidated by a large amount of words and that could relax in front of a camera? Ah, and their light bulb went off and they thought, let's get a kid who's training at the Dallas Theater Center because they're accustomed to being on stage in front of 435 people. That's how big the Kalita Humphreys Theater was at the Dallas Theater Center, 435 seats. 
So I've stood up and performed as a young boy in front of a packed house. What do I care about a little camera and a couple of people hanging out on set? That's a piece of cake. Right. So I went in and read for and booked. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, dear God. I booked the very first professional job I ever read for. And then three months later, so I got paid for it. The pay was very good. Certainly attention getting good. Yeah. And then three months later, I got paid again. What? 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 What is this? And I was being I was being given the gift of residuals. And I thought, so so you're going to pay me all over again when I haven't done anything else? And then I remember thinking, I like this. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I like this. And so I started doing commercials. Scheme. <laughs> I started doing uh, commercials, did several of them. And then later that same year, which was 1975, I'm now 16. I was 15 when I started. But I'm now a full year into my professional career. And check this out. Someone's saying, wow. Jill's saying, wow. Yeah. Well, she said wow to that. She's really going to say wow to this because a movie came through town called Ode to Billy Joe. And it was being directed by Max Baer Jr. Now, for your own edification, your audience's edification, Max Baer Jr. played Jethro Bodine in a series called The Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah. Many, many years ago. And of course, children of the 60s, we grew up watching that show. I love that. And and now I'm auditioning for the lead in a movie and I'm getting called back multiple times. So I think we had three or four rounds because it seemed like they were interviewing every kid in the state of Texas. And all of a sudden I'm given the news that you've made the final final and you're going to be reading for Max Bayer Jr. this coming Friday and he will choose. Well, how many other, I see Jeffrey's comment about residual income. Yeah. You bet Jeffrey and good morning, my dear brother. Um, so I'm so the the least case scenario is that I'm going to be working with Max Bear Jr. And I'm thrilled, man. I'm gonna get to meet and work with Jethro. You were well aware of who he was. Oh, I, I grew up watching him, but yeah. what I'm saying is I don't mean working on the movie with him because I don't have the job yet, right? But I'm going to walk into a room with him where he will direct me and coach me, and then he either will or will not choose me. But nobody can take away the experience that I will have that day. Wow. Well, I was wrong because he never showed up. It oh. never happened. And after all of those meetings, the, the session was completely blown off in Dallas. And we actually read about it in the Dallas Morning News about six weeks later that Variety Magazine had announced the casting of Robbie Benson and Glennis O'Connor in the two leads. Why is this important that I tell you about a story that didn't develop? The first thing is that it taught me the gift of how you're going to have to get over stuff and get over it quickly. Yeah. And I'm talking about big stuff, right? Big stuff yeah. that's, that's painful to lose. And you and were I got 16? It. I was 16. Okay. So, so now a couple of months, fast forward, I'm still 16 and the same casting director that was casting Ode to Billy Joe calls my agent and says, I have another shot at a lead in a movie, the lead in a movie for Glenn. They called me and I told them I wasn't interested at 16. And it wasn't me being cocky. It was me feeling like this is not right. This is not fair that we go through all these hoops yeah. and then they, then, then they blow us off. 
right? I didn't know. I was I was always led to believe that things in life were fair. Boy, did I ever have a lesson to learn. And uh, the casting director said, see if he'll give you, uh, if he'll give me his number, ask him if, if I can have his number. I want to call him. So he calls me directly. I said, of course he can call me. Jeez. He called me. I'm 16. And he says, Glenn, don't be an idiot. I'll <laughs> never forget this call. He says, I don't mean that harshly, but I'm telling you, this role has your name on it. You're ideal for it. You're, you're even perfect for it. And it would be foolish. I'm not going to make you go through all the preliminaries. I'm going to bring you straight in to meet the director. But you're right for this. And if you want to be in movies, just trust me. And uh, that was Gary Chasen out of Houston. Wow. And I went in, I'll speed the story along. I went in, met the director, whose name was Rod Amato. There were four men, boys, four boys and four girls for the two leads in the movie. The film was called Drive-In, made in uh, October and November over about a seven-week period of time in Terrell, Texas, 1975. As we were leaving the room, and I went into that room with a woman named Lisa LaMole. We're leaving the room and we're at the door when the director says, hey, Glenn, Lisa, I'll see you on set. Oh, wow. What? That was what? it. What? And then I sm smiled and she smiled and we went, okay. <laughs> and we walked outside and we, man, we were madly hugging each other. We didn't even know each other. We met out in the lobby. We went in, kicked butt. I mean, we did a good job, but he told us to our faces that you're hired. And all I could do is play that mental tape of, I've already been down disappointment lane before. Yeah. Sure. Surely this guy wouldn't tell us that you're doing a movie and then have it not happen. Well, thankfully it did happen. And that film drive-in changed my life. Wow. And that is the movie that moved me to Los Angeles. It came out in the summer of 1976. You can still get it. You can go to Amazon. You can find Drive-In today. Uh, and I look at it. I probably watch that film every few years just to smile and remember that that's where it all began and, for me. And you were 16. 16. So that and was so 45 years ago. I, I heard you tell, hey, because you're like, you know, first at 16, <laughs> I got to I, look, we will answer your question, Eric. Just settle down. I'll get to that. We're not there yet. He's got 45 more years to go. <laughs> so are we are we relegated to 60? We're relegated to 60 today, aren't we? Or are we? <laughs> So, 60 minutes. I mean, no, no, we'll, we can go a little over. So I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Whatever you need. So, so the, you tell a story. I've heard you tell the story about you did the movie and you were going to a public high school, right? I was. So you did the movie and, and, and it was in September and October. Is that what you said? It was October, November of 1975, and it was October, released November. in May, released in May of 76. Okay, but you come back to school after being gone for two months. Um, yes. And and you were shrouded with lots of, like, flowers and joy and, and love and... No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. 
<laughs> and in fact, I'll tell you where this is when I first heard the phrase that, you know, that I do a lot of teaching on it now. And the phrase was the boy's too big for his britches. <laughs> right. Right? And I learned, I mean, that's not an original saying. We've all heard that. But I want to make a comment about that. I, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of that phrase because what it strongly implies, and I've had years to perfect this understanding and, and the uh, inherent lesson with it, it implies that there's one size of britches, that britches come in one size only. They will be issued to you by society and you will never outgrow them because right. if you do, here's what happens, Ken. If you outgrow the britches that were issued you by society, you will threaten the herd. Amen. And I, and I encourage people to outgrow their britches all the time. And I'm not referring to a physical waistline. I'm talking about your emotional and spiritual development. By all means, leave your small britches behind. Amen. Outgrow them and grow into the ones that fit you and your soul's yearnings, that fit into your unique expression of your essence. Yeah. So what I found was that my away time was perceived to be a threat. Now, mind you, honest to God, hand to God, I didn't come back acting like a fool. Right. I didn't come back with having eaten a bowl of arrogant cereal. I, I, I just went and made a movie. That's all I did. And I came back to buckle up, get back to my school. Well, get this. I've never told you this. I was a straight A student. I made really, really good grades. Wow. And, and I left and my algebra teacher... Mrs. Stroud, I still remember her name. She, I don't know if she's alive anymore or not, but she was uh, a beautiful woman and we got along great. She is the only teacher in my life who ever issued me an F, an F. So I was a straight A student and my total school grades over the years were all straight A's and one F. What? And I want to, and I, and I to tell you what the F was about. The F, and I didn't know this so much then. The F was about putting me in my place. Oh, my God. That's what it was about. It was about me understanding you're not going to come in here and be a hot shot. And I thought, ouch. And it hurt. It really hurt. I don't need any sympathy now. I mean, this, these hurts are a million years ago. But I did go into a counselor's office at the school. I talked with my mom about it. I was tearful-eyed. Well, let's face it. First of all, algebra is a train. You can't jump off that track and go board it at a de another depot down the road. You can't do it. Algebra, there's too much you're going to miss. Yeah. My point is that there was zero compassion. There was zero considering what had happened and what a beautiful opportunity it, it was. And I want to praise, I mean, buddy, you're. I'm bringing up names now I haven't thought of. I haven't thought of since the late seventies. Wow! And one one of the women that uh, was such a, a godsend in my life was uh, her name was Joy, and she created um, a program called the Talented and Gifted Program. I don't know if it was uh, unique to Texas. I think they've had it in other states, but it was called the TAG program, which stood for Talented and Gifted. And get this: here's what they did: they allowed people who were sort of um, already clear on where they were headed in life. So people who had a clear cut vision of what they wanted most, those kids were the exception. I don't mean that they were better kids or they were more important, but they were a rare breed 
that knew exactly what they wanted to do with their lives. I was never dabbling in acting. I, right. I was a non-dabbler. I knew that's what I'm going to do. So they enrolled me in this program that allow me, allowed me to go to school for only half a day. And then the second half of the day, I got to leave the school building and go train as part of my school program at the Dallas Theater Center. Wow. So I was getting school credit for being an actor. Now that's brilliant. That's awesome. That is, that is brilliant because yeah. that is proper handling of a kid with a vision. Yeah. You don't, and listen, you know that opportunity, you got to strike while the iron is hot. Yeah. Every great surfer knows when it's a big, big, beautiful wave, you get your butt up on that wave and you surf it. Yep. You don't, you don't wave it on by. So here I've got a lead in a feature film that is getting ready to come out. Well, it came out and that treatment was that whole big britches thing was even worse after I got back from the film opening. Wow. Because I spent that summer uh, touring around the country in a limousine, signing pictures and kissing women. And frankly, <laughs> I thought this is a lifestyle that works for me. And um <laughs> I mean, come on! I'm 17 years old, um, and now and now I'm, I'm trying to pretend that I give a damn about geography and math. It, and I realize nobody's going to ever ask me these questions. Did you? So, but did you make any money off of that? Off the film? Oh, you bet! I'm kidding. I've, you bet! And it was a hell of a lot more than my paper route. That I'll promise you. <laughs> so I wound up, uh, you know. Anyway. I don't have an ounce of bitterness about it, but uh, man, I learned a lot about humankind yeah. and here it is all these years later. And I got to tell you, I've never seen a change in, in, in so many circumstances with other friends of mine, people that have been uh, very successful in their lives. There's a condition known as crabs in a bucket. I know you're familiar with it, yeah. but some of your viewers may not be. And I want to just shed some light on it. Yeah. Crabs in a bucket simply means that actual crabs in a bucket when they're all, you know, like hooked into each other and they're all crampled, you know, cramped together, there will always be the adventurous crab that says, hey, this environment is not for me. I can't do this anymore. I, I'm out of here. And they start to ascend up the wall to get out. Yeah. And it turns out that it is the crab's nature, the other crabs, to reach up and pull it off the wall and say, no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't do that. You don't you don't go expressing your specialness. You do not get to ascend over that wall. You're one of us. Therefore, you will stay in this mess and you will behave like us and you will take it. And yep. it turns out that that condition is not limited to crabs. It is a very human trait. And my my role in this lifetime, among others, is to help people realize that it is our job to support the fullness of expression for not only ourselves, but for others. And instead of pulling people off the wall of ascension, when they want to get away and leave the herd and do their thing, our job is to actually give them a leg up the right. wall, the right. opposite, and to stand there and applaud. And how can I help you here? Step on my back, do, yeah. do whatever. And we take turns being of service to one another. There yeah. is no higher calling than being of service. You know that as well as I do. I agree. And so, so in, in your, your career launched with the movie drive in and, and you get back and, and you were still, um, not treated very kindly at all. 
Yeah, and we, you know, we can fast forward from that. Yeah. It was just all I know is my the clear cut message was, I don't belong here. Right. Things have changed. I'm not. I'm not wanted because I've already scooted forward in my life. And you right. know, there's a saying that you can't ever go back. I happen to believe that. I yeah. believe that saying that once we've graduated and yeah. we've crossed a threshold of understanding or a threshold of experience in life, we can never pretend to know to not know what we know. Yeah. Let me say that one more time. We cannot pretend that we don't know the things we know. So that, it was time for me to get on out of there. And they gave, they gave me the extra courses I needed to get me out. And I graduated three months early and went straight to Los Angeles. So there, there's a saying too, that in, in recovery, it's once you become a pickle, you can never be a cucumber again. Oh, I love that. Right. So, so, so you ended up, um, getting the heck out of Dodge, so to speak, um, and and moved to Los Angeles and began your acting career. And we definitely don't have enough time to cover the literally hundreds of films and and TV shows that you've you've been in. It's a lot. Uh, you're well, it depends on how I tell it. If I tell it this way, we can cover it. Watch this. I went to L.A. I did Police Woman and Dukes of Hazard right after I got there, and now I'm doing The Resident. There, how'd I do? <laughs> I just covered 45 years in 12 seconds. I love it. Well, so so, and who do, who was the woman, the main woman in Police Woman? Angie Dickinson. And that's right, Angie. Yeah, who was a babe? Oh, and I remember thinking, I am being paid for this. <laughs> She's hot, man. Mm. Let's see. You've been in Star Trek. Um, I mean, just so many, so many things that you've you've been in. It's incredible. Um, but as a matter of fact, I would encourage everyone to go to imdb.com and look up Glenn Morshower and enjoy your day because it's a lot of reading. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot. <laughs> and and and, you know, my wife made a comment earlier and you were talking, so I'm not sure you saw it, but she said that, you know, it's rare that someone um, lasts here. Here it is. Almost no one has that kind of longevity in Hollywood. That is talent and wisdom combined. And it's 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 true. Like almost no one. I mean, people don't last that long in Hollywood. Well, I'll tell you what I attribute it to, uh, because we just saw evidence of it this week, and you were visiting my online acting class where we had Melina Kanakaridis in it. She was amazing, by the way. She, she uh, was and is amazing. She played Dr. Lane Hunter in The Resident. Yeah. And I've, I've known her for over 20 years. We worked together in a show she did many years ago with Mike Farrell called Providence, and then she was the lead opposite Gary Sinise in uh, CSI New York. Yeah. for a long, long time. Yeah. But we've remained good friends, so she came to visit the school. And didn't you have a sense, Ken, when you listened to her that you wanted more of her? She's, uh, that woman, honestly, that was, I, I've never witnessed. I told you, you and I were texting during the whole thing, and I'm right. like, this woman is absolute, first off, she's drop-dead gorgeous. But beyond that, she is, the classiest woman I have ever seen. Can I right. can I just say what she did at the end? Yeah, please do. So there were what 70-ish, 75. We had 
Yeah, right at something like that, about 70 people. It was a lot of people. And she literally went person by person at the end and called each and every one of our names out and said goodbye and love you all. And just, she was, and I mean, literally, how long did it take her? A minute, a solid 60 seconds or better just to say goodbye to each and every individual person. It was the classiest thing I've ever seen. And in doing so, every person in that room felt valued. Yes. Right. So this is called value creation. So yeah. just know there's a saying in life that how we do anything is how we do everything. Yeah. So yeah. that same consciousness that felt that that was important. Now, mind you, we, we have a word a month that we do at our school. And two months ago, before all the coronavirus stuff hit, our word uh, was thoroughness. That was our monthly word. And then she comes in and demonstrates for us what it means to be thorough. And in this yeah. case, emotionally thorough. But the point is, anyone who is thorough is not categorically thorough. If they're thorough, they're thorough. And they're thorough across the board. So what that means is that same driving force, Ken, that behaved that way in, in, in class the other day, then that's how well she behaves all over the place. She is a thorough human being. Yeah. And that is how you generate, you know, I've, I've said this for years. It is not hires that equal a career. It's rehires. Oh, so any trained, any trained monkey can get hired, but once you're hired, is your essence such that your employers would want to be around you? Not only again, but again and again and again and again and again. Because if you've got just a few people like that that are on your team because they, they just love your energy, they want to be near it, they, they love your work as an actor, but more importantly, they love your energetic contribution to the totality that is a set. And then they hire you and rehire you. And before you know it, you're, you're working all the time. And Melina is one of those people. And, and so are you. And, and that's what's amazing. Like you're, you're on... You're and and you know they 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 don't just pay anybody twenty bucks an hour to do what you guys do, <laughs> right? No, that's true. But I think it has everything to do with how you show up. Yeah, you show up on time. You show up sober. You show up prepared. Yeah. You're not a drama queen. You're not problematic. Uh, you know you're a professional, and yeah. and they enjoy. And not only that, but Ken, I would add this to it because it's huge. It's advice is never, no matter what, never ever give up playfulness. Playfulness is a hugely attractive energy in an adult human being. And I mean, we used to, we used to walk around and do rehearsals for 24 like this. Like I'd talk to Keeper Sutherland, like Jack Bauer. And I'd say, Hey, Hey, come here, Jack. I want to talk to you. I want to introduce you to the president of the United States. Right. <laughs> and I would do rehearsal like that. And everyone is laughing. Well, we put in very long days. Like, you know, sometimes, 14 hour, 15 hour days, you can't handle that if you're not smiling. Right. Several times a day, we need an energetic break. We got, we got, you know, and all of a sudden, I just discovered when I'm doing this guy, everybody would laugh their butts off. And right. I wound up lasting seven years on that show that prided itself in killing series regulars. Wow. So, so, um, Let's 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 address. I can't even find it. Let's here. do some questions, brother. What's your favorite or most meaningful acting role? Oprah apparently would ask this question. 
Okay. Uh, this is from Eric. Yeah, I would say that my my favorite role was playing Aaron Pierce on 24. Uh, Aaron was the most like me of anyone that I have ever played. But from the standpoint of research and really digging deep in a role, when I played Colonel Tom Matthews in Black Hawk Down. And the reason is because I got to meet Colonel Tom because he was our technical advisor. Oh, wow. On the show. So my, my task in that movie, which was, I mean, anyone who saw it knows it was a great film. One great two, unlike a lot of movies, it was an accurate depiction of war. It did not seek to glamorize war. It felt ugly and Ridley Scott, the director, his vision was for it to feel ugly. That was his not only his intention, it was his commitment. He wanted people that saw it to walk out of the theater feeling like they had actually been to war. Yeah. And, 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 and it worked. But when I got to set um, in Morocco, we were shooting in and around the Rabat, Morocco uh, area. Rabat is the capital of Morocco. Um, by the way, Lansing is the capital of Michigan. Can't just say so you know. Um, that's an inside joke between Ken and I. We don't need to go into that. He, oh he, no, 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 no. Let's do. Well, wait. He had, he informed me. He informed me the other day. He sends me a video clip of these people that are marching on the Capitol uh, in in Michigan, and he shows me this is going on in Lansing, and he goes, which by the way is the capital of Michigan, and I thought. You must hang out with a lot of ignorant people. You know, you know I mean, you give me a little credit, dude. I have an education. You interrupted my my comment and you said, Ken, for future reference, just so you know, there is the possibility that I am intelligent enough to know that Lansing is in fact the capital of Michigan. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay, dude. Thanks, man. I wasn't. So sure. let me. So let me ask you this one. Uh, so how does how do the locals in the state of Missouri? Because you know they pronounce it Missouri. They don't say Missouri. Right, right. How do the locals pronounce the capital? Do they pronounce it St. Louis or St. Louis? The locals. Um, well, neither. They, they actually pronounce it Jefferson City. So <laughs> it's an old joke. It's a, anyway. So on the Black Hawk Down story, yeah, most people yeah. don't get that. So I credit you for knowing, knowing the capital. By the way, that same joke can be told with Kentucky because almost, almost, yeah, you say Louisville or Louisville. Yeah. Right. Or even Louisville. And they'll go, well, let's see. Baseball bats are made there and they call them Louisville or Louisville sluggers. I'm, Louisville, Louisville. I'm going to go with Louisville. And you go, no, actually, they call it Frankfurt. Right. I've done. Um, but let me finish the Black Hawk yeah. Down story. Yeah. So, so Colonel Tom Matthews uh, is there. He's hired as our tech advisor. And what that means for me is that I will never at any point in the movie be more than about eight feet away from him because he went up in the helicopters with us. And our job, you know, along with an actor named Jelko Ivanek, we were we were up in the helicopters doing surveillance. So I got to know Colonel Tom really well. And at least on paper, 
at least on paper, I think that would appear to be somewhat daunting when you realize, dude, I'm getting ready to play you in front of you yeah, for a global audience. So you talk about a, a tough critic. You know, it's one thing to portray someone. It's quite another to be portraying them right in front of them. And I cared about one thing only as far as my role in the film. And that was that after each scene, I got one of these, right? If I got a thumbs up from Colonel Tom, what do I care about a movie critic? Right. What do I care? I care that I'm doing you and you're giving me a thumbs up. That means we're good to go. Dude, that and it was the most rewarding experience of my entire career. That's awesome. I have um, other questions. Sure. And we are approaching an hour already. Can you believe that? But we're oh, we're going to go over. Like, it's the internet and it's my show. So if you're good, I'm good. Sure, sure. Um, Tim, Tim, and Tim, I don't want to butcher his last name, so I'm just going to put it up here. Um, if you were not, if you were not acting, what would your other purpose in life be? Uh, that's an easy answer because the three callings in my lifetime have been to be either an actor, a minister, or a therapist. And as a result of that, I have created a program called the Extra Mile, which allows me to do all three without a license. That's awesome. And that's it's, the truth. Yeah, I know. It's so and, I, I very much show up in a ministerial <clears throat> capacity in a lot of people's lives. Um, I was a psychology major in college, even though I never finished up college because uh, Carolyn got pregnant and I needed to earn some cash and I wasn't going to earn that in school. And I was doing psychology training just because I thought it would make me a better actor and understand other human beings and their behavioral patterns. But yeah, I could have been very happy being a minister, very happy as a therapist. And, you know, I played a minister. Ken, I played, I mean, the book ends because I played a minister and I played Satan on the X-Files. Yeah. And somewhere, whatever they're reading me for is going to fall somewhere between a minister and Satan. <laughs> that right? would be, that that would pretty much sum up life. Yeah. Yeah. So they say, they look and they go, so um, do, do you think you could play that? And I'm like, well, you never know, right? You never know. You might be able to play because it obviously, obviously the role takes place in Australia and it's going to have to be somewhere between a minister and Satan himself. So uh, you never know. <laughs> you know, and sometimes you get to play these guys. I love these guys. <laughs> Their mouth always does weird stuff. But I was, uh, I remember doing an episode of NYPD Blue. And when I did that, uh, they said, well, you know, as long as you're in town, why don't you come over and do Law and Order as well? So. You did Law and Order too? I did. I did the Law and Order and Law and Order SVU. Of course you did. What is Brian's question? What is the thing that gives you the most fulfillment in A, life, and B, your professional career? Well, it's changed in my professional career because now I enjoy teaching more than I enjoy acting. And acting isn't even a close second. I mean, it's still a gift to me, and I enjoy the, the benefits of it, and certainly the glo global exposure, and it has always put food on the table and kept a roof over our heads. I'm grateful for all of the above. In general, Brian, and to the entire audience, I would say I don't know that anything in life is more important than gratitude, right? Just being grateful, waking up with a grateful heart, holding an elevated opinion of life. Yeah. Carolyn and I were out on a walk this morning, and I was just expressing my 
my gratitude. And I know that the things that have gone well in my life have been driven by a centralized belief um, or a centralized elevated regard, rather, for life itself. I, I dig, I'm going to use a word from the 60s, Ken. I dig, and this is not said to sound woo-woo, foo-foo, or what a, what a nice thing to say during your little internet interview. I really feel this way. Which well, is that I'm, in, I'm in love. No, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, people say, oh, yeah, your TV persona or your talk show persona. But the deepest truth is that I'm in love with life. The word we were taught in the 60s was dig. I yeah. dig being here. And I, I really believe that when we change our regard for life, uh, everything changes. You know, Dr. Wayne Dyer said, when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. Yeah. So I think if we just anti you know, ante up our, our commitment and we elevate our overall opinion of what it means to be here in the first place. Are you having a good time being down here? And if we decide, yeah, in fact, I see this whole thing as a blessing. I see it as an opportunity. I see it as an event. And I feel fortunate to be here. I'm grateful that I was nominated for and selected, not only nominated, but selected for incarnation. And yeah. that's a big deal to me. And I'm, and I'm, I'm grateful for that every day of my life because every day I wake up, I feel like I've been reselected. And yeah. I want to say something about that, which is something I wanted to speak with you about last week. We didn't get to it on the show, but there is a thing called, and it's, and it's, it's problematic for a lot of people. Uh, did I answer his question, Brian's question yeah, thoroughly. Good, yeah. Okay. Uh, I want I want to be thorough there, but um, there's a, a term in metaphysics called an already existing premise, right? So an AEP. Uh, I I have modified it somewhat, and I use the expression an AEO, which means an already existing opinion, and I think it's one of the most damaging things people do, meaning they don't wake up to the discoveries that might occur in this beautiful gift we've been given called today, but rather they wake up with an already existing opinion, mm. an already existing opinion about the way this is and the way that is and the way she is and the way he is and the way life is and the way the virus is and the way my job is and the way I am. And so where in that chronic opinionitis, is there any room for today to give us its gift of newness? The answer is there is no room. Right. So we've got to be careful. And especially if you have a garbage opinion of life, or how about this one? A garbage opinion of others. And the worst case scenario, a garbage opinion of you. Amen. What if what if you're not really happy with you? Well, what you're waking up with is not an experience of being present in this day. You're not living in present time at all. You're waking up to an already existing opinion of you and all other things, which means you're handcuffed to see things through the lens of yesterday and yesteryear. So yeah. the only way to change that is to decide as of this moment, I'm actually going to begin to change my opinion about some things because it occurs to me that my opinion about some things suck. It's yeah. not a healthy opinion. And it is not helping me fully participate 
in today. And I'm a huge fan of being new creatures every day and ever expanding, ever evolving. But that can't happen if everything that you experience is being routed through an already existing opinion. You know, I, you and I, again, we've spent literally, and I'm not talking figuratively, we have literally spent hours up on hours on phone calls and on doing live streams and Zoom meetings. And sure. And, and I have learned so much about you. And, and listen, I, I <laughs> what I love about you too is like, you're like, I'm like, yeah, I, I've, I've, I definitely recognize your face. What are some of the things you've been in? And you're like, 24. Did, did you not see 24? And I'm like, you know, I've never seen one single episode of that. <laughs> you're Which like, actually oh. touched that actually touched my heart because I, I thought, know. you I, know, Ken, like, Ken okay. likes me for me, right? You know, and you were like, well, what about the resident? I'm on that too, and I'm like, what's, what's the resident? <laughs> No, your your response to have you seen it? Your pretty consistent response was um, no, 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 and um, no. So I gotta say this, man. So I I, I started watching Twenty Four, and OMG, it is addictive. Like I am not kidding, it's addictive. You do not want to start watching Twenty Four if you want, <laughs> if you enjoy sleep because it's so addicting, and and. I got so I, there's this this thing that I I I noticed about you, you know, and that is in in when you're in character on 24, dude, you're like a secret service agent. You are like you're you're somebody that that you know you wouldn't want to piss off. <laughs> like you're just yeah. this guy that's like your secret service. Your job is to kill anybody that comes near the president. And, and, it, and, and you can feel it in your role, but like you as a human being, not in that role, like you're one of the funniest, I mean, you're, you're hilarious and your heart, man, you're like, we were talking the other night and I said, I said, do you, we, I don't know, we were talking about getting recognized, you know, losing your anonymity and being recognized right. and, 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 you know, you're like, yeah, it happens all the time at the airport, especially. Right. Right. And, and I said, well, what do you do when people come up to you and want a picture or, or want, you know, what an autograph or whatever. And what was your response? Cause I love, 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 love this response and how just freaking human you are. What was my response or what is my response? When, yeah, when, when somebody up? walks up to you and, hey. Can oh, I I'm, I'm always warm, no matter what. And I thank them for watching. And invariably, they want a picture. And, of course, in the old days, people weren't walking around with cameras. So that's when they wanted an autograph. But um, autographs take more time. And so, frankly, I'm grateful that people have a cell phone because they just say, you know, could we get a picture? And the answer is always yes. I've never turned down someone taking a picture. And, and, and oftentimes we'll even say, would you like to take a picture? Because you can tell, you know, you get fairly good at this where you can see what's going on for someone. And quite often you can tell they want one, but they're afraid to ask. Right. And you, and you can sense that like they don't want to be a pain or whatever. And, and I'll tell you, Dan Loria, who played the father on the wonder years, is that a show you ever watched Ken or no? No. Okay. 
So he, he played the dad and Dan was kind of a mentor for me. He and my two mentors in the business, Dan Loria taught me the world about being a character actor and Al Lewis, who played grandpa on the Munsters, was very much a West Coast father yeah. to me and mentor. I did. But what Dan that. told me, Dan told me this. He said, offer to take a picture instead of waiting for them to ask because mm -hmm. you will, you will make their day. Uh, Cause then they don't have to be embarrassed to ask. They don't, need to work up any courage. And um, so that's really great. In fact, I've only had one bad experience in 45 years of being in front of a film or television camera. I've only had one bad experience in public. And I shared that with you recently. And it was um, the day my dad died yeah. because my, my dad dropped dead of a heart attack. And so it was very sudden and unexpected. And I was crying when I called my brother from, um, Los Angeles International Airport. I was calling Brian to let him know of dad's passing. Yeah. And I looked up and I'm, I'm, I'm bawling on the phone and I look up and there's a woman that's standing there with her cell phone videotaping or not videoing, but you know what I'm saying? She's yeah. recording. Yeah. She's recording me. And, um, and I walked up to her and I said, can you please put that down? And she goes, Oh, I'm sorry. And I said, yeah, I'm, she goes, I've just, I've never seen you cry. You, you play these, really tough leader types and you're the head of the CIA or the secret service or the chief of police or a general or something, but you're always these tough backboned people. And I'm seeing you be so tender. And I said, I'm being tender because my dad just died. Yeah. Could you not only stop? I said, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Please erase that. And she did. Wow. Uh, but that's the only time I've ever, had to be firm with someone and, you know, and God bless her in her innocence. She didn't know. She just thought it was a really cool moment. Like there's general more shower being vulnerable. Yeah. You know, but that's, that's part of the anonymity that, you know, we, we give up when we make a decision to be an actor as a career choice. So it comes with the territory. <laughs> Eric, Eric learned that you, has anyone other than Eric, said something that you care to look at today, Ken, or is it just the... I, I love his comments. He's hilarious. <laughs> so the, the answer to that is probably no. So Brian Hess loves our energy, and, and we do genuinely enjoy talking with each other. And, and you know, I, 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 um, I, I love the fact that you have not ever forgotten where you came from. You've not, and you made this comment to me, I think it was last night. Um, we were talking about somebody else being arrogant or, or something. And, and you said, you know, people that reach this, these levels of fame, um, they, they, they forget that without fans, without people knowing who they are on that level, they forget that, that, they wouldn't be where they are without them. That's correct. And that's, that's why I, I mean, they've, they've given us the live. No, they've given us the lives we have yeah. and gratitude to me. Gratitude is the only acceptable attitude toward them. Um, you know, Ken, I want to, I want to respect the fact that we don't need to do one of our 90 minute shows, but there, there is at least one more thing that I'd like to open up, kind of a portal, if I could here, please, for for us to explore. Because Carolyn and I were talking about this on our walk this morning, and 
I was, you know, the, we have not really gotten into the virus discussion in this interview, and that's just as well. Yeah. But because it is still present and because it's going on, I've got some thoughts about how people can grow themselves during this time. So while things seem to be, and I think seem is a big word here, seem to be trending downward, I believe that it's possible for the individual to be trending upward. And I think that's an issue of consciousness. I think we just have to decide that I, just because the world may be trending downward doesn't mean I need to co-sign that experience. I can find a way to elevate during this time. And so what I was going to suggest for our viewers is this is a time that is unprecedented. We've certainly never seen anything like this in our lifetime. And we've got an opportunity to utilize it. You know, most people I know have been endlessly complaining about never having enough time to do yeah. something. Just, just don't have the time. Boy, if I did, boy, you know, if I did, it would really be, well, you do. So now you got the time that you were talking about, if only I had the time, your yeah. whole life. And now it's been issued. So it's a time, this is what our discussion was in the walk this morning. It seems to be that it is a great opportunity to practice introspection if you're not someone who typically does that. And the reason is, it is only through introspection that we really know who it is we are. And if we've never fully explored, you know, Larry, Larry Wingett said something on his show the other day. I watched it with uh, Scott. Yeah. Um, and in that interview, he said something. It's not original. I've said it for years. Many people have said it, that basically under pressure, what is in you will come out of you. You think of it like a, a piece of fruit that yeah. under pressure, the juice comes out. Well, under pressure, the juice of who we are comes out. Yeah. What has been inside us all along squirts out. So then the question is, do we like what comes out of us? And if we don't like the scent of what comes out of it, we've got to know that's the essence that has been bubbling underneath all along. And what we can do, Ken, is during this time, if you're not deeply familiar with who it is you are, not you, I'm talking about your audience, you, right. you're very clear on who you are. That's what I love about you. But if someone isn't taking time to practice introspection, then they're not going to be crystal clear on who it is they really are. And I'm talking about at their very core. Here's right. why this is key. If a person is unfamiliar with who they are at their very core, then chances are they are going to be unsuccessful in knowing, not just unsuccessful, but specifically unsuccessful in knowing how it is they need to plug in in life. If yep. you don't know who you are, you will forever be plugging in incorrectly. You've got to know that you're a three-prong, you know, socket. You get if if you're going to fit one in it, you, like right. you can't be a two into a three or a three into a two. You've got to know where you belong, and that even comes down to like job consideration when you're looking for a job. So many people base their first thought when looking for a job as well. Let's see who's hiring. I can't think of a worse way to look for a job. It's not about who's hiring. It's about what are my gifts. And where will they be valued? Where can I take that which I was born to offer this world and, and then fit it in? Because then work won't be work anymore. It will be a privilege. 
because your, your essence is being valued. These are the things that we can be discovering during this time. That is a great usage of, of all the free time that we have on our hands. And I just wanted to make sure to say that to our viewers today. I absolutely love that, man. And that's, that is something that, you know, uh, since I, I've gotten to know you and, um, you know, we've, we've spent a lot of time on live streams and I, I, I'll never forget the day. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I like, I got, I got to tell, tell the audience this, like, <clears throat> You called me after we had done several, many live streams together. Sure. And you called me and you said, Brother Ken, I have a proposition for you. And I said, Glenn, I'm already married, dude. I'm sorry. You did. You did say that. <laughs> and 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 you said, No, that look, I, I think you and I need to do a show together. Mm. And you said, and I will. I'm going to give you top billing. <laughs> I did not and know. You, and you said, what's, what's billing? I, I said, who do I bill? And who do, or who do I send the bill to? And, 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 you know, you said, I want to call it the Ken and Glenn show. And you said something like if we were um, named David and Goliath, it or so, I forget how you put it, but you said it wouldn't sound, Ken and Glenn would sound better. Yeah, because it flows off the tongue. Try to say, well, I watched the Goliath and David show. It's weird. It's weird. But Ken and Glenn, man, Ken and Glenn, it's so easy. Uh, there's Mike Muni. What a great guy he is. Wow. Oh, have you interviewed Mike? I have. He's amazing. He is an amazing cat. I love Mike. Yeah, he is amazing. Um, so so we came up with this show. We We said, okay, let's do it the Canon Glenn show. And then we were doing a live stream one night, Scott McCain comes along and, and I said, Oh my God, you got, we got to get Scott on here. You're not going to believe this guy's <laughs> voice. And you're like, bring him in. And so Scott comes in and he's like, Hey Glenn, it's nice. To, I can't do Scott, but like, you know, hey Glenn, it's nice to see you. I'm Scott McCain. <laughs> it was, uh, and he's just got this, unbelievable and and then we uh, we got to include scott in the show not just sure. because of his voice but because of his brilliance and his he's and his heart and his heart and so right and and we came up with the ken and glenn show with a guy named scott and i love that i just hey, love that can you can you show them the preview the the oh can yeah you, can, can. can you yeah. cue it up Let's do it. Let's do it real Show quick. Show them the preview, which will be for uh, Sunday evenings. We're on every Sunday evening at 8 Every Sunday evening. Eastern, 8 p.m. Eastern. 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Uh, Pacific. So here's here's our, our, our uh, opener for the Ken and Glenn Show with a guy named Scott. Here we go. So proud of that. <laughs> so uh, you, you really hit it out of the park in designing that man. It was beautiful. 
Well, I, I um, am, uh, you know, I, I wish I could take the credit. I directed, but. but and, and our dear brother Chase uh, edited Chase. that out of Las Vegas, right? Oh, Chase is amazing. So, you know, I am, I, dude, I am so, and I should be calling you, sir. I should be way more respectful. Um, and speak. Nah. <laughs> but I, you know, I love you like a brother, man. You are, you're one of my favorite humans of all time. And because of you, I now have an addiction to 24. Um, I don't get to, I don't, I don't get to sleep much anymore. <laughs> you know, I lost my own blood brother this year, Ken, and I had no idea that God was going to replace it with, um, with a dear heartfelt brother this year. So wow, man. I'm, I'm, I'm so so beyond grateful that you have shown up and I, uh, I meet you right where you are. I love you, dude. I I'm, I'm so, so grateful for, for, for you. I, thank you for coming on and sharing your unbelievable, like this is just, this is just a, a, a smidgen of your brilliance and your wisdom. It's so, so deep. I, I know that, um, you have the acting school, which is like I I I pop in and out of of your classes, right? And I'll watch for a little mm -hmm. while because it's mind blowing. Like I watch you take these actors and actresses that are that are doing these scenes or whatever. What do you call it? Not monologues. Yeah. Or no, they're scenes. Scenes and 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 I just watch you form in these these scenes into these brilliant just works of art and you help these 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 folks like like just make these tiny little adjustments and boom it becomes something that's unbelievable and i think you know and i've told you this before i leave there thinking you know it's so important to pay attention to the details yes and, it's, and it's all it's all about the nuances and i can tell you their job is to study hard and prepare well and bring to me each Monday and Tuesday. There's my dear other brother from another mother, Alan Skidmore, who Alan's I've been blessed to know and love for years. Um, but their job, what did Alan say? Can you put that back up? Let me read it real quick. Oh, they've been very uplifting with all the crazy going on. Yeah. I love you too, Alan. Uh, thank you, man, for, yeah. for watching today, but their job, Ken, these actors, is to bring with them on Monday or Tuesday, depending on what class they're in, their job is to bring me a wet piece of clay. Yeah. And then my job is to help them sculpt it. Yeah. And we do it every week. And everybody gets two takes. Uh, the first one are, you know, is made up of their own instinctual choices. And then we modify them. I explain what worked and why, what doesn't and why. Yeah. And then we home shape and refine it's, take two and it's beautiful it's the blessing my dream is my school my dream has come true to have my own studio where i help actors live the life that i have been living for 45 years and uh, and you're you're doing it and and yeah. i see i see just by particip not part i don't participate but i i observe yet yet no yeah i will see but but we'll, anyway we'll, we'll get you up there yeah so so um you know but uh, observing and and watching it's it's not about you know and that's what i love about it it's not about acting as much as it, it is about life it, it's just incredible and so i would encourage you know anyone to 
um, reach out. I, I don't even know how you would want them to reach out, but to, to reach out and, and they can uh, reach out to me on my Facebook page and let yeah. me know if they're interested in studying. And now that we're teaching online, the beauty is there are no more borders, right? So we uh, have people that are not only coming in from all over the U S we've got people that I will be opening up to uh, some international locations because we have right now people that are sitting in class from the UK. We yeah. had someone from Africa watching this past week and um, you know, we, we've got freedom. We've got options. So it'll be interesting. It's, it's amazing. And I, I, do, I, I, the, the price of it's just absolutely ridiculous. Like I, I, I couldn't even believe that, that $150 to study four sessions a month and the sessions are six hours long. So that's, that's a lot of training for $150, but it's, it's, it's great. You know, it's, so it's, if anyone yeah. wants to reach out, they can reach yeah. out to the name below Glenn Walshower yeah. on Facebook and let me know. Dude, you're amazing. I thank you for coming on. Thank you for, for everybody who there's been all kinds of shares. People, a lot of people have shared this and thank you for that. Thank I you. I love you dearly, man. In the comments, dude, you're, you're amazing. You're amazing. We'll, uh, we'll stay on and visit with each other after you sign yeah. off, but yeah. uh, love to all of you. Thank you for tuning in with us today. And yeah. if you thank get a chance, join us for uh, the Ken and Glenn show with a guy named Scott. Sunday. Sunday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, 5 p.m. Pacific time. Amen. Guys, have a great day. Thank you.